Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who do not believe and who, was, who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon, Peter, answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy, Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. All right, before we jump into our verses uh, this morning, I do want to take a, a step back and kind of zoom out a little bit um, as we're going through the book of John. And so if you've been around here at all a little bit or at Sacred Mission, you know that this is um, something that we like to do is preach through books of the Bible. And so we do that uh, for a couple different reasons. Uh, one, like we believe that, that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof and correction and for training in righteousness. Uh, we also want to stay as true to the text in its original context as we can. And so um, the, best, the best way, the, most, um, the easiest way for us to do that is to just preach verse by verse through the, through the different books of the Bible and keep everything in context um, that way. And so to do that, I want to take us back and get us more of a, a bigger picture of what's going on as we're reaching this point in John chapter 6. Um, and so I'm going to go back to the, to the beginning of John, or actually the end of John 1, uh, where we see Philip, uh, he, he meets his friend Nathaniel. He's like, hey, come, come and see um, who we found. We found the Messiah, the, the, um, the one that the prophets and Moses, Moses had been, have been writing about centuries ago. He's actually here in the flesh. Let's, let's come and see him. And they go and see him. And before Nathaniel can even, even say a word, um, Jesus, Jesus sees him, and he, he knows him. And like, that's all it took for Nathaniel to believe. And Jesus, at the end of that encounter, he's, he just says, have you, have you believed just because of this? And he's like, just, just hang tight, sit here for a little bit, and you're going to see a lot greater things than this. And so right, at, right after that, uh, starting in chapter 2, John strings together like, miracle after miracle after miracle, of Jesus, and so we see we see Jesus go to the wedding, and and there he turns he turns the water into wine. Uh, then we see Jesus telling the Samaritan woman everything that she's ever done. Uh, he he heals a couple of people first, the official son, and then that paralyzed man by the pool. And there are several other things that happen alongside of these miracles. There are several conversations that are being had uh, by Jesus and with other people that move the storyline forward, uh, but. As all of this culminates to chapter six, we just see John basically doubles down, double down on the miracles that Jesus performs. And so, uh, while in the midst of, of chapter six, like Jesus, he does these miracles, and they aren't just 
like more miracles for the sake of more miracles, but he's making a parallel between himself and Moses. And more specifically, he's, he's making the, that parallel between himself and when Moses takes the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and himself. And so what I want, what I want you guys to think about, for us to think about um, with that parallel, I just, I just jotted down uh, five things that are, are parallels between those two stories, the Old Testament Exodus and John chapter 6. So first, like Israel enjoyed manna from heaven, we see that Jesus fed the 5,000 men, so more like almost close to 20,000 people with just a, a few loaves and some fish. Uh, like Moses ascended to the mountain alone, we see that Jesus withdrew to the mountain by himself. Uh, third, we see Israel cross the Red Sea uh, like they were on dry ground. And in John chapter 6, we see that Jesus walked on water and brought his disciples to their destination. Number four, we've got the fulfillment of the Passover meal that's anticipated in the references that Jesus makes um, in this chapter. And so he says that those who believe will abide in him by eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And it's also apparent, like they start out John chapter 6, and they note that it's the time of the Passover. Uh, and the last thing, last thing that I have written down, um, there's probably several more in this chapter that, that are parallels, but like, like Israel gr grumbled against Moses, the crowd is also starting to grumble against Jesus. And so uh, as, we, as we get to verse 60, we see that it's not just the crowd that's starting to grumble, but the disciples, the people who are following Jesus, are also, they're also offended by what Jesus has said. And so one, one other theme before we really hit our, our text hard that I want to bring to your attention is up until this point in John, Jesus has been having several conversations and he's directed almost all of them towards one central idea, and that's toward belief. And so similar to his conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter three, uh, Jesus, Jesus in this chapter, he pulled, he, he pops open the hood to belief, and he shows us what has to happen, what gears have to turn, what things have to fire in order for belief to take place in our lives. And so let's, let's get to, to verse 60 here. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And so here we learn that the disciples, they would actually need further revelation to understand the teachings that they just heard from Jesus. Um, and if you weren't here last week, Tim did a great job of covering exactly what it was that Jesus was, was talking about, that Jesus is the bread of life, that the only way that God's people can have eternal life is to, is to eat Jesus' flesh and to drink his blood. And so although, although the disciples heard these words straight from the mouth of Jesus, they still couldn't fully comprehend what he was trying to say. And so... Several things would have to happen before they were able, before that was able to click for them. And some of that includes like the institution of the Lord's Supper. So you just think about like Jesus is saying like these crazy things like you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, but they had no concept of what it was to, to partake in communion. And they didn't even know like that Jesus was going to have to die in the way that he died and come back to life. So they'd have to witness those things before they could fully comprehend um, what exactly he was teaching. And mo finally, and most importantly, they wouldn't understand the full teachings of Jesus until they actually had their minds opened to understand. And, and we're going to see exactly like what I mean, and we're going to dig into that a little deeper and how exactly that happens in just a minute. 
Uh, but first, let, let's look at Jesus' response uh, to his disciples' response in verse 61. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? And so here, Jesus knows that his disciples are confused. He knows that they're offended. And, he, and like the crowd, he knows that they're grumbling. And so rather, rather than just giving him, them like straightforward answers that they can just stick in their short-term memory bank and move on with their lives, Jesus, he wants them to ponder, ponder it a little bit more. And so a natural thing to, to, to do that is you ask him more questions. And so that's what Jesus starts off with. And so, and it's, it's beautiful here because the confusion and the offensiveness that the, the disciples are, are, are expressing, it doesn't make Jesus distance himself from them. It doesn't make Jesus withdraw from them, but it actually prompts Jesus to, to scoot to the edge of his seat, to actually like get up and move towards them. And he gives them, like it doesn't even make him want to back away from telling them more truth. It actually like, makes Jesus excited to tell them more truth in order to challenge uh, their, way, their way of thinking and to align their thinking with the reality of, of who Jesus is. So Jesus, Jesus continues to say here, verse 63, says, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And so the words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Here, Jesus makes it abundantly clear that it's the spirit the Spirit gives life, and the Spirit alone gives life. So these things that Jesus has revealed in John 6, and actually the things that Jesus has revealed in the entirety of Scripture, can only be understood with the help of God the Holy Spirit. And so that means that no, it says that the flesh is no help at all. So we can't just read the Bible and understand it using mere human measures or human means. And so as I was in this text this week, two kind of perspectives, two angles that I, that I kept thinking about um, when it came to this verse. Like, no, whenever it says the spirit who gives life, the flesh is no help at all. That means that there's no education system that's robust enough to teach us. There, there aren't any fancy words big enough to, to grasp the capacity of God. Um, there aren't even, there are like no stories engaging enough or like the, that capture our imagination enough to, to truly help us understand only what the Spirit can teach us. And so another, another way that I was, I was thinking about it this week is that whenever he says it's the Spirit who gives life, that means that like, nothing else outside of God can give us the true life that we're, we desire. And so this, also, this means like trying hard to live a respectable life won't actually bring us life. This means like really good things, like our dream job, that may give us a glimpse of life for a brief fleeting moment, but our, even our dream job isn't going to, to bring us true life. Um, things as special uh, as our kids won't, won't bring us the true life that we're looking for. And so as commendable as these things are, and as much as we should pursue these things and be thankful for these things, uh, just, know, just know that they aren't gonna be the source of our true life. And so, so they, may, they may be a part of our life, and we can praise God that, that he gives us good gifts. But as soon as the gift um, is placed above the giver, like that's whenever life starts to get twisted. And so just, just know 
that Jesus, the Spirit, God, the Trinity, our Trinitarian God, is our one and only source of true eternal life. And so if we're, if we're to understand Jesus, the Spirit of God must give us life. The Spirit of God must, must cause us to experience new birth. And so this is, should bring us to remember Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John 3. He's saying, he's saying almost the exact same, same thing to his, to his followers here. And so, so left to ourselves, our sinful, our sinful flesh won't ever receive the teachings and the words of God. And so that's true because of the fall. And so what I mean by the fall is at the beginning of the Bible, when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, they did so on behalf of the entire human race. And so if you're here and you're a human, like we are inherently sinful and we inherently reject Jesus and what he teaches. Um, like, so that just means when we're born, we have no other choice, no other desire than to do the things that don't have to do with Jesus. And so, however, there is a beautiful however here. However, the words Jesus speaks communicate life, and they are the words the Spirit uses to awaken, awaken faith and cause new birth. The words of Jesus come to us as people dead in sin, not just people who are cruising down the road and could use a little, a little help, not people who are struggling to make it by and just need a lifeline, but people dead in sin. The words of Jesus come to us as people dead in sin, and the Spirit gives life at the hearing of the words of Christ. So I just want to make sure that's clear. The words, of Je- the words that Jesus speaks communicate life, and they are the words the Spirit uses to awaken faith and to cause new birth. The words of Jesus come to us as people dead in sin, and the Spirit gives life at the hearing of the words of Christ. And so circling back to the beginning of verse 63, I think it's fascinating to, to really look at the words that Jesus chooses to use here. Specifically, I want to focus on the two words, gives life, and so I was, I was encouraged for two reasons here. First, first, if the Spirit has allowed you to be born again, he continually gives you life. So that means he doesn't just give us a one, por- like one portion of life when we first come to Jesus, when we first believe, but he continually, like it says here in verse 63, he continually gives us life. And so we don't have to take that small portion of life and make it extend however many years or days, whatever, but he actually enjoys and delights in continually giving us life. And so following Jesus isn't just a one-time decision. So all that, although that is very important and it is included in our journey with God, uh, it's a lifelong adventure fueled by the Spirit of God. And the, sec- the second thing I wanted, I wanted to point here is that if you don't follow Jesus, so if you haven't been born again, or if you know someone that fits into that category, um, we can take hope in these words as well because the Spirit still gives life today. So it's not like anyone's missed the boat yet. It's not like he used to give out life, but now he has run out of life to give. But the Spirit still gives life today. And it's not, it's not on our shoulders to save anyone, but we, we actually have unlimited access to the one who can save and the one who has unlimited, unlimited life to give away. And so that, that should drive us, drive us to prayer uh, to petition for each other, um, that, that the Spirit would work on our behalf, on our friend's behalf, to, to bring us life, and to loving each other like crazy and pointing each other to Jesus. And so Jesus, Jesus continues here in verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe 
and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus, Jesus has been asking, he's been telling, and I would find it it's probably fair to say he's been begging people to believe in him for the better half of six chapters of John up to this point. And so this is the first time that I can remember, I may be wrong, but the first time that I can remember where Jesus confronts people face to face and he, he straight up tells them that you guys are not believing right now. And so this, this is eye-opening to me uh, because if you think about it in John 6 and where all these people, what all these people have literally just experienced in like the week, probably just days, hours prior to, to this, um, they tasted the bread that Jesus miraculously provided for them. They witnessed Jesus being on one side of the sea at night and being on the other side of the sea the next morning without a boat. Um, they got to sit at his feet under his teaching in the synagogues. And at the end of the day, they experienced all of this eyeball to eyeball, shoulder to shoulder, face to face with Jesus, the Son of God, and they didn't, they didn't believe. Many of them walked away. And show, so it shows us, it, show, it showed me uh, this week that there were two ways to respond to Jesus. And this isn't like really profound. It's actually very simple. Um, but I just couldn't stop thinking about it. There are two ways um, that, that us as people can respond to Jesus. We can either believe or the only other option is we don't believe. So there's no in-between or third option here. Uh, we can believe, we can believe Jesus. We can, we can give our lives to him. We can follow him and we can find true eternal life or we can decide not to believe him. And it's inevitable at that point that we're gonna find somebody or something else to put on Jesus's throne in our lives. It's inevitable that we're gonna find somebody or something else to, to make the center of our lives and to try to draw life from that. Uh, and as soon as that happens, it's also inevitable that, that someone or something, instead of giving you the life that you desired, is actually gonna suck all the life out of you. And so after, after most of the people in the crowd chose option number two, Jesus, Jesus then, he turned his gaze to his 12 disciples. And so let's, let's look at verse 67. He said, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And so Peter, Peter's response here is extremely powerful, very beautiful. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. He doesn't, he doesn't say Jesus, yes, we understand 100% of everything you've taught, and we don't have anything else to learn, so we, we're going to stay with you and write it out. He doesn't say, we've made the intellectual ascent to the mountaintop. He's like, we're way smarter than those people who just turned around. He doesn't say that. He doesn't even say, we've worked too hard and traveled too far to give up on you now. We've put all of our eggs in this basket. Uh, like, we don't have anywhere else to go. What he's saying is, you have the words of eternal life. We don't want to go anywhere else. And Peter, 
Peter has witnessed Jesus' miracles. He's heard him teach just like everyone else has. Uh, He's been with him through the ups and downs, and his response is that we believe and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So the Spirit, the Spirit of God has opened his eyes to realize that Jesus isn't, isn't in the business of just incrementally improving Peter's life, but rather giving him a new life altogether, one that is far greater than Peter could ever uh, imagine or, or come up with. It's, a, it's truly eternal life. And Peter, Peter, by his response, we see that he, he recognizes that. And so after, after Peter decides to, say, to stay, Jesus, he, not so subtly, he shifts the conversation again. And he reminds his disciples that he's actually the one who has chosen them. And so he chose them despite what they brought to the table. So he goes, and he goes to the most extreme version, mentioning Judas, um, the one who will betray him uh, in, in a little bit. But what I think he's getting at is that despite what you guys bring to the table, despite uh, your resumes or lack of resumes or your reputation or even your negative reputations that some of you have, he's like, I'm the one that sees you, and I'm the one that's going to choose you regardless. And he, he doesn't choose them because they're model citizens. He doesn't choose them because they're the, they're the most helpful neighbor in town. Uh, he chose them because they were sinful, messed up people who needed someone to save them. So this, this brings us to the question, uh, so what, do we, what now? Like, what happens to us here in this room? Uh, so all of us, I think it's safe to say at some level, at some capacity, are searching for, some, for our version of the good life. Uh, we all uh, want a bigger house with more land. Uh, we want our kids to, to be obedient and listen to us the first time and be respectful uh, to us and other adults. Uh, we, want, we want to be financially independent. We want our relationships to, to be deeper and be more meaningful than what they really are. Uh, and these verses tell us that though these things may be good, the only thing that's going to get us the, the good life that we all desire deep in our souls is the words that Jesus has. Only, only the Spirit can give life, and Jesus has the words to eternal life. And so it, it is incredibly kind of him to, to be so clear in these verses, just telling us what it, like, just believe on me, and you can have eternal life. But it's also... He goes one step further than just telling us like what it is, like who has the keys to eternal life and how we can access that eternal life. He also goes one step further and he shows us the step-by-step process of what it takes for us to get to that point in our life where we can say, yes, Jesus, I see you, I believe in you, I give my life to you. And so he says that God the Father must draw us in. He said, we must hear the words of Jesus. And God, the Holy Spirit, must make us understand what he's saying and help us believe. So then, that could all literally happen in a split second where all three of those things just happen at once. It could happen over a span of days or weeks or years. Uh, like, God can do it however, however it is that he pleases. But those three things must happen. God the Father must draw us in. We must hear the words of Jesus. And God the Holy Spirit must make us understand what's being presented to us. And once, once that happens, regardless of the timeline, once that happens, everyone in here is left with a decision to be made. Will we believe or will we not? 
And so the question is simple, but it's do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he lived the perfect life, that he died on the cross once and for all for the forgiveness of all sins, that he came back to life, that he stayed on earth for a little bit before he ascended to heaven, and he's now ruling as king now and forevermore. And so that, that's the question. And so do you believe that or do you not? And so for Christians, for Christians, we're people that have already made the decision, the initial decision to believe. Uh, but the more that you walk with Jesus, the more that you walk with Jesus' people, the more you want to be closer to Jesus, the more life you want to experience with Jesus. And so my encouragement for, for those of us that are Christians today is for you to ask the Spirit for more life. And so it could be a general prayer, just, Holy Spirit, would you give me more life? Would you let me experience the fullness of life that you have in store for me? But I'd also encourage you to, to think about specific areas that, that we can pray for. Um, like in your life, in your, in your family's life, in your friend's life, in our church's life, um, just to think about specific prayers that we can pray for specific people. Uh, it could be yourself as well. So maybe like in areas that you're struggling, you could ask like this. So for example, like spiritual disciplines, if you're having a hard time being consistent in God's word and praying, and being quiet before the, before the Lord, like just ask the Holy Spirit that they would, that He would give you life in those areas, that you would you would desire to be with God, that you desire to know Him and be in His Word. Um, maybe it's something like you need more patience or help controlling your anger. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you life in those areas. Uh, maybe maybe you're just in a hard spot. Maybe a lot of hard, difficult things have been happening to you and around you and to the people that you love. And, it's, and if you're honest with yourself, like, it's very hard for you to find joy at all in your life. And so my encouragement would be to ask God the Holy Spirit to help you and to bring life to your specific needs. And the, the cool thing, well, there are many cool things about this, but um, whenever we ask for this, like the Lord doesn't see it as a burden to give us life. He's actually pleased and he's delighted. He enjoys, like, uh, like I just imagine him just springing up off the couch whenever one of us approaches him. He's like, hey, uh, God, it's been really hard for me to, to find life. And I'm just feeling really dry and distant from you right now. Uh, and he loves nothing more than to jump off of his couch, come running towards us and give us life. And so maybe, maybe you've been trying to find life from someone or something else besides Jesus, and that's something that we can repent of today, um, individually or together. And so we take the, the really good gifts that, that God's given us, um, maybe like your job, your family, or your status in the community, and you've, you've placed that at the center of your life, and you're trying to draw life from those things. And it's just simple that you need to repent and turn to Jesus. And it's the same, it's the same response that Jesus gives us in, the, in those moments of our life. It's not like he's shamed that, that we're coming back to him again to ask for forgiveness or to ask that he, he takes the rightful place on the throne of our lives, but he's actually overjoyed and actually just loves, he loves doing these kind of things for us because he knows this is what gives us true life. And then next, uh, for people who aren't Christians yet, uh, if, you, if you feel a desire to follow Jesus, from these verses, we can know that it's um, like nothing, 
it's nothing that you've manufactured on your own. And it's actually very clear in the Bible, like with our sinful flesh, it's impossible for us to conjure up or even imagine the idea of a good and loving God all by ourselves. And so if those thoughts are starting to, to come into your head, just know that those aren't random. Um, know that like that's not a mistake. That's not something that you've come up with on your own, but it's actually a work of God the Father drawing you in and a work of God the Holy Spirit starting to convict you. And so if that's, if that's you, Romans 10 says that, that all you have to do, it's nothing outlandish, nothing crazy. All you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And so just an, an invitation to go along with that is that if that's you and that's something you're processing, uh, know that you don't have to do that alone. Uh, we love to come alongside you and pray with you and, and sit and listen to you and and answer questions that we can, ask questions that we can. Um, and really, we just love to celebrate with you. And so um, if that's you, just don't, don't rush out of here. Um, just make sure that uh, we leave the, the appropriate space to, to let the Spirit do His work. And so would you, guys, would you guys pray with me? God, we do thank you for, for just loving us the way that you do. Holy Spirit, we do ask that you would, you would give us life and give it to us abundantly. Lord, would you not hold back from us um, the things that you have in store for us? Um, would you just help us think of areas, Lord, that maybe we've written off that we just like, we can't see life in that area anymore, so we're just going to avoid it, or we're just going to make do with what we've got. Um, Lord, would you, would you, in your mercy and your grace, step towards us in those places of our lives um, and give us life. Uh, for those of us who haven't experienced new life in you would, you, would you do the work of convicting right now? Uh, would you give them a, just a comfort and a, a presence of peace, Lord, that, that says, welcome home. Um, you've got a place in my house. And so, Lord, whatever it is, uh, you know all of our stories. You know every area that, that we need life, Lord. And so would you just give us the obedience and the grace to follow you in, in all those areas. And so, Lord, we pray, these, we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So an appropriate, appropriate way to respond to this text is actually by participating in the tangible grace that is the Lord's Supper. That's communion. Um, and so Jesus gave this to us as a reminder of how much of himself he was willing to give for us in order to give us life and give us not just life to, to skim by or to get by on, this, like, on our own accord, but actually to give us life and give it to us to the fullest that we could ever imagine. So God, God wants us to be so certain of his love for us, that he gave us, he gave us the one thing like that he could conjure up in his imagination that is the most valuable thing that could ever be, um, that could ever be in the universe or outside of the universe for that matter. And that's his son. And so he gave that to us. 
And so as we, as we eat this bread and drink the wine or the juice, um, obey your conscience there. Um, let, us, let us rejoice in the life that, that Jesus has given us and that he's still giving us today. And if that, if that life feels distant to you right now, if that life feels more like a faraway dream than it does reality to you right now, uh, may, this, may this meal be a reminder of how close and how intimate Jesus, Jesus truly wants to be in your life. He doesn't want to be a faraway God that makes an appearance occasionally, but he actually gives us this to us as a reminder of how close and how intimate and how um, just readily available he wants to be for us. And so just just know that as we come to the table. And so if you're not a Christian, I would just say, um, just refrain from being, from partaking in this. Um, it's totally okay just to sit and think, um, sit and have a conversation with God. Um, and then if you do decide that you want to believe, if the, if the Spirit is working in you and convicting you, we'll keep this out for as long as we need. Um, but the way that we do it is we just come, we get it, take the elements back to our seat, and then we'll take it together as family. And so when you guys are ready, you can come to the table.